the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great show today. Great show with some interesting guests. We'll catch up with Colonel John Mills, our old friend who's written another book on what is happening with the deep state and what to do about it. Not just what's happening, but what to do about it. And also, I pre-recorded this interview, so I know what's coming. It's an interview with Dick Morris. Dick Morris, the famous political consultant, um, well known for uh, most I think most famous for being a consultant to Bill Clinton, even though Dick Morris is, I think, considers himself a Republican and considers himself more center right than left. Uh, but he uh, helped Bill Clinton triangulate is the term and uh, get his second term in office. And so that Dick Morris got famous for that. Also had some controversies in his own life. And uh, he has a new book called Corrupt, Corrupt. And he ta- in the, in the interview, which is in a few moments, He talks about how uh, completely over the top the Joe Biden corruption is. The book, by the way, is corrupt and it's about Joe Biden. It's not I should have said that it's um, it's um, the uh, the book is called Corrupt. And then it's uh, how the Biden crime family um, uh, has laundered money or something like that. And it goes through uh, chapter and verse of the corruption of the Biden family. But my point here is when you listen to his interview, he will tell you. This is so far beyond the normal influence peddling of uh, people in power. Uh, people in power do influence peddle and uh, do, you know, they get their kids into uh, the Naval Academy and they get their other kids jobs and they get their wife a lobby job and all that. But this is so far beyond that. It's unbelievable. So we'll, we'll hear from him. He's also helping Donald Trump's campaign. So I asked him about that uh, and whether Trump is on track. And he actually used the phrase. He said, no matter what they do to Trump, even if they put him in jail, he thinks that he's going to win. So that's pretty extraordinary. By the way, it's pretty extraordinary just to hear him say, even if they put him in jail. So, all right. But, hey, what you need to know today, today's Wink, what you need to know, W-Y-N-K, what you need to know. And go to ProAmericaReport.com and sign up there for my emails. Um, and here's what you need to know. Mike Pence dropped out. Mike Pence dropped out. Now, uh, uh, there's two points I want to make. One is about Mike Pence's campaign for president, and the other is about this moment in uh, in time in the presidential campaigns. First about Mike Pence. Mike Pence, I have told you about presidential fever. Presidential fever is a kind of malaria-like fever that gets into the bloodstream of people who run for president and get relatively close, meaning, well, they, they, they get close to being president. Uh, think of Mitt Romney, uh, John McCain, the late John McCain, uh, John Kerry, Hillary Clinton. 
they're just not the same. These people after they after they have a run for president, they they just are unable to be the same as they were before. They act uh, like the world should have delivered them as president. They're sort of condescending, sneering, uh, unpleasant, all those kinds of things. Uh, Dick Cheney was somewhat exempt from that, although it seems like the maybe the bloodborne, uh, the the presidential fever got in his daughter Liz Cheney's bloodstream because she acts like that. But be that as it may, be that as it may, that's a problem. And now I realize that presidential fever not only is uh, common, and uh, let me say it this way, presidential fever, the, the virus that gets into the bloodstream of those who receive the nomination of a major party, Um, That is real and obvious. It also appears that vice presidents can get a similar uh, uh, virus. And that's the case with Mike Pence. Mike Pence had no chance, zero chance of winning for president. He had zero chance, and frankly, almost ever. I've only met him once. He's a nice enough guy, I suppose. But he does not have his finger on the pulse of the grassroots of the Republican Party. He's he's a creation of the sort of uh, of the of an era, George W. Bush era, you could call it or a late late 20th century, um, late 21st century. Sorry, 21st century, um, 20th century. That's kind of funny. Uh, you know, he comes out of that era where he he sounds a certain way, he acts a certain way. And look, I would have said at the end of the presidency of Donald Trump, his first term, that Mike Pence was a very effective VP. He was competent, serious, in the background, et cetera. But I have to say, as a candidate, I I just don't know why he thought he could win. And then when he thought he could win, he the way he did it was he had to attack Trump. And it, it was an impossible situation. Even if he was a serious candidate who was energetic and popular, he would have had to say Donald Trump's presidency was somehow flawed. He would have had to criticize his own job in a way. And so that was a never what was never going to work. And then he was really, really ill served by his own vision or his consultant's vision to run for president and be so sneering and nasty about Trump and Trump's voters. I mean, I don't know how he could have damaged himself more. No matter what happens, no matter what happens, the reality is that his career is over. I mean, he's he will not be it will take I I don't know. He's not. He's in his 60s. It will take a decade for people to have good feelings about him. And it will only happen, you know, after a Trump second term and where people say, oh, good, Trump got through that and it worked out well. And now we'll and maybe maybe at that point he can come back into the swing of things and say, look, I was there for Trump the beginning and I I did my part. And um, let me, you know, get be be sort of uh, respected as a senior statesman. But I don't think so. I think in the era of of 24 hour, uh, um, 24 hour social media, you know, 60 seconds, 60 minutes, an hour, 60 seconds, a minute, 60 seconds, just on, 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 on. I don't think he ever recovers. I really don't. I, I think Mike Pence and frankly, it was such bad judgment. It made me I mean, it just really was such bad judgment for him to run and run the way he did. I would have understood if he had run and said, I'm waiting in case Trump can't run. But once it was clear Trump was running and it was serious, he needed to get out of that game. Now, brings me to my second point. What you need to know is you're going to watch a chorus 
a chorus and the voices are out there already that there's a, a politico a breathless politico article about how nikki haley's surge is coming at the right time which is she's gone from six to seven percent something like that and what they really are trying to write is that desantis is done but what here's what you need to know there will be now a series of stories about how there is going to be a surge from this person or that. And there'll be even more stories. There's one of these already that says, if we just clear the field, it will become head to head and Trump is in real trouble. Chris Christie was quoted over the weekend as saying, now that Pence is out, people are going to start to look for an opportunity. They're going to look for a COA and more people will drop out. And then there will be a coalescing. Now you have to wonder why isn't Chris Christie dropping out? I think he's at like 2% maybe 3%. He does get a number of donors. He, I think he's going to be on the debate stage because he's received a bunch of donors. So he's got the right number of donors and he's got a couple of percentage points. But I would think, I think he wants to be the one that they coalesce around, but I don't know how that makes any sense. I don't know how that argument can be plausible because I just don't know. I just don't know if there's any way to believe that he could be the guy that they coalesce around. I mean, I, I really don't know. I mean, I, I think um, he's going to say that and he's going to stay around. And actually, he's probably going to stay around uh, and, and hang in there, hoping that they come around to it. But I don't know why they would. I don't think they will. And it will be interesting to see uh, uh, how long he is tolerated by people who will be saying things like, hey, um, shouldn't we get um, this cleared out? And then aren't you one of the guys that should get out of the way? And should get out, you know, should not be in this. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But that you're going to watch a a, a, billion, a a number of stories. And if I don't know who can actually get uh, pick up a bunch of uh, voters and sort of say, oh, look, here's a pathway to get to 35 percent. And then you're you're fighting with Trump's 45 or 50 percent in various states and make an argument. I don't see that. I don't see that. I don't see any indication in the political articles or anything else. So but we're in that season. We're on that season. And a lot of people who wanted Trump beaten in 2016 and always bemoaned the fact that it took too long to get down to head to head. They forget that when it got to be head to head and it was Trump versus Cruz, Cruz got beaten soundly. I mean, it wasn't even close. And Cruz was supposed to be a candidate who could hold the conservatives and get all the never Trumpers. And it was going to really work. He got destroyed by Trump. He got destroyed by Trump in terms of messaging, in terms of positioning, in terms of uh, likability. But now in 2024, the Trump campaign has a massive and developed campaign. In 2016, it was Trump and his personality and Corey Lewandowski and and uh, a few others. You know, he had to he had uh, um, uh, Kellyanne Conway, but he didn't have a real campaign. He's got a real campaign now. He's got a real campaign now. And, you know, the, the the better indication was Larry Elder ran for president for six or seven or 15 weeks. I don't know. I was going to say six months. I think that's too long, but four or five months, maybe. And he had you know not a real following, but people liked Larry Elder. He was very, very good uh, speaker and very clear on what he thought could be uh, America could be better. Well, he dropped out and endorsed Trump. So nobody's going from Larry Elder to a new candidate. So it's not going anywhere. But anyway, good riddance, Mike Pence. I'm glad he's out. That's what I should say it that way. Uh, it was a dumb mistake to run. And now we'll see what happens next. So that's what you need to know. We'll take a break. I'll be right back. Ed Martin, here on the Pro-America Report. we got Dick Morris in a moment and also Colonel John Mills. Be right back.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great honor and uh, privilege to talk with Dick Morris next. He's got a new book, Corrupt, the Inside Story of Biden's Dark Money. Uh, he, of course, is uh, well known to everybody. He's the host of Dick, Dick Morris Democracy, regular contributor. You see him on Newsmax quite a bit and has written uh, for decades. He's written columns and, and articles. He writes it many times at uh, uh, Newsmax and was, uh, was um, of course, famous for his work with Bill Clinton, but has been a prominent political consultant for literally, literally hundreds of candidates and successful ones. So welcome back, Dick. How are you? Good. And I'm now working for Donald Trump and that's have been since 2020. OK, great. Well, that's good. That means he'll win for sure. So uh, and and uh, yeah, I have to tell you, Dick, I, I think um, your book is perfectly timed. And the reason I know that is because one of my friends who is not the publisher of your book, it's Human X Books. Human X Books is publishing it, who is uh, not the publisher, said to me, what we really need is a book on the inside story of, of Biden and the dark money. And and so here it is with an introduction from Peter Navarro. Look, uh, uh, Dick, you've seen a lot of politicians. We're talking Dick Morris. You've seen, you know, uh, thousands. Is there anyone who has approached the scale of of corruption, meaning the ability to influence American government and be as corrupt as this is? I mean, it's unbelievable, yeah. isn't it? No, there's nobody come close. Nor is there anybody else in this genre. <laughs> uh, when a uh, when a politician takes a bribe to give a sewer contractor to build a road, right? Corruption. But when it's a bribe from our leading international adversary, I call that treason. Hmm. And the extent to which Biden has compromised America to benefit China is unbelievable. And I spell it out in this book. Begin with COVID, where he blocked any serious investigation into the origin of COVID, including pushing the the, um, uh, backbite theory and not embracing the idea there was a lab leak, but not even visiting the idea that it was a deliberate biological attack on the United States and on the world designed to topple Donald Trump and stop his his, uh, policies that were tough on China. Uh, In addition, he uh, has allowed China to challenge the dollar for supremacy as the main currency in the world. And if they succeed in that, uh, we will find it very hard to borrow money, and that will result in huge cuts in our defense budget. And um, that probably is their reason. Uh, the And Biden has done nothing to oppose that. Uh, China's acquired a monopoly virtually on rare earth minerals. Right, right. Which right. are essential for, uh, for computers, for guidance systems, and for just cell phones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, a mine that would have replaced much of our lost rare earth mineral capacity in northern Minnesota, which is killed by Biden uh, and because he claimed it endangered a lake. Right. It, it goes. It goes. We're talking with Dick Morris again, his book, which is out uh, from Humanix. It's uh, Corrupt, the Inside Story of Biden's Dark Money, forward from Peter Navarro. You know, you mentioned in there one of the other ones I, I had not been tracking, but I, I, when I read it, I thought, man, Dick Morris is right on this one is China is racing to space and racing to build their military up and racing to do national defense. It's massive. And he's he's done nothing to slow that down. In fact, it's the opposite. And he's our own uh, our own military superiority superiority is at risk. Back Dick, to the yeah. dark money in this. It, 
it, you know, you again, you've observed a lot of politicians. It's it's not it's not really a distinguishing characteristic for an elected official at a high level to say, help somebody's son or daughter go to the Naval Academy or West Point or or have one of their kids get a job as a lobbyist. That's not the end of the world. It may happen a lot. It may happen a little, but it happens. But when you're talking about billions of dollars, tell me about the scope of the uh, of the money and, and what Hunter was doing and how it goes directly to Joe Biden. Well, Hunter and James and Frank, all of his children, mm-hmm. were sent around the world to make business deals invoking Biden's, invoking Joe's name and channeling money back to Joe. The, the feedback to Joe himself uh, is only beginning to be documented because we just, uh, Comer just acquired subpoena power over Biden's bank account, Joe Biden's bank account. <clears throat> but already he's unearthed a $200,000 check from James Biden to Joe Biden. Um, that was a repayment for um, money that, that Joe gave James mm-hmm. that, uh, and is the fruits of corruption. But um, the thing that, that, distinguishes this is that basically Hunter Biden became the business agent for the Chinese Communist Party in its in its business dealings in China and in the United States Hmm. and received commissions in that role that may have amounted to to over to close to a billion dollars. The more, the more conservative estimate is thirty million, and uh, by Joe Hunter became the business agent for the Bank of China uh, in its investments in China, and uh, just enormous power and enormous money. Uh, and then in Ukraine, where I have suspicions now that the bribes that you can, you can pay to Biden may be a factor in our ongoing support of Ukraine. This deep into the war when basically they're fighting over two provinces. Uh, and the, and, and here, uh, as you know, Hunter was put on the board of Burisma, the corrupt Ukrainian right. energy company. And the prosecutor who was going after Burisma was going after Hunter Biden. And they would have led directly to Joe. Mm-hmm. Joe had the prosecutor fired and then bragged about it, dangling a billion dollars of aid. Saying you're not getting it unless uh, unless uh, the prosecutor going after Hunter Biden is fired, and uh, he says that he was on the verge of bringing indictments against Hunter Biden. So, and then in Romania, the uh, the wife of the mayor of Moscow, uh, who is in her own right the richest woman in Russia, hmm. uh, wow. and uh, and runs companies that are manufacturing drones uh, that are being used in Ukraine by Russia, as it was not sanctioned by the American administration, despite her overt and aggressive role in putting drones in the air that are now the backbone of Russia's attack on Ukraine. Um, there are just so many stories of this sort. We're talking with Dick Morris again. And Dick, um, when, when, um, when two questions and, and, um, one, will the de- will the Republicans have the the chutzpah to do something about it, it, it actually and, and whether it's impeach or whatever? And two, 
I guess this is a crazy way to say this, but left to its own inertia, the momentum of Biden taking on all the you know the truth coming out. Is there any way that Donald Trump doesn't win re-election? Yeah, well, the first question is easy. They they are going to move to impeach him. I think okay. they'll see. I don't think the Senate will convict, but there'll be a trial between mm-hmm. the impeachment and the and the acquittal that will bring out all of this information in a way that the media really has to cover. Okay. Yeah, there's been a huge change in the polling since this war in the Middle East started. Biden's weakness and inability to lead as president has become front and center, and Americans all over the place are turning against Biden. In 2020, Donald Trump got 12% of the black vote. In McLaughlin's poll last week, he's getting 27%. Wow. In 2020, he got 27 percent of the Latino vote in that poll. He's now getting 39 percent. And Gen Z, which is 18 to 25, has completely flipped from a 10 point margin for Biden in 2020 to a 10 point margin for Trump in the polling now. So I believe that Biden is 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 absolutely in dire straits. And I think that Trump is well on his way to election. Hmm. Um, real quick, just 30 seconds. But you've seen a lot of powerful people oppose someone. I mean, will they let Trump get to the finish line? Can they stop him, I guess? They can't and they will have to. Uh, I believe the Democratic strategy of using the legal process to try to stop Trump's election is failing because the key thing is the voters won't buy it. Yeah. Yeah. They may win the convictions mm-hmm. they win gag orders. They may do all kinds of stuff to Trump, including lock him up. But the voters are not going to turn on Donald mm. Trump. They made very clear yeah. that they believe this is all a con job and he's being yeah. railroaded. But more Amazing. importantly, they made clear that with this war going on, they can't let Biden stay in office. Yeah. All right, Dick. Unfortunately, I'm out of time. I'm sorry. Dick Morris, everybody. Uh, amazing. Uh, I, I should have done that at the beginning. Pollster to uh, getting him to talk about the polls there and his book I will put up on social media. It's called Corrupt, the inside story of Biden's dark money. Peter Navarro writes a forward from HumanX, our friends over there. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to check in with our old friend, a Colonel John Mills, Army Colonel, retired these days. And he, of course, is the author of a book. We've talked about it before. The uh, excuse me, the nation will follow dot uh, com is the site I sent you to. But the, the war is it war against the deep state dot com or the war against the deep state dot com, John? Uh, uh, war against the deep okay. state.com. <laughs> Sorry. We just did that off the air and I messed it up. <laughs> war against the deep state.com. If you go there, you can see this book. Um, and it's really important right now because we're entering a sort of ongoing uh, period of time where uh, an ongoing battle against the deep state. Hey, John, I got a text after we last talked. We're talking Colonel John Mills. He's the author, retired Colonel. Um, someone said, do those categories again. You, you, the last time you went to the categories of how the deep state, where the, you know, the three branches of government and, and walk through that again. That was uh, compelling. And I think people understand what the context is. Well, so a massive pervasive surveillance state was created in 2007 to 2014, which became the glue that really holds together and also grows the unlawful fourth, fifth and sixth branches of government. The fourth is the administrative state. 
The fifth is the fusion of uh, uh, federal law enforcement, federal intelligence, and big tech. And then the six are the nonprofits. And these, the massive surveillance state has really provided the glue and the fertilizer to grow because these capabilities are just intoxicating. And they're so, um, the, the, the bureaucrats, the technocrats, the plutocrats just can't resist it and have turned this inward toward the American citizen. It was designed and created to protect the American citizen from the foreign uh, threat, the foreign extremist threat. But they, they just said, woo, why don't we just turn it around and face it, the American people and get them to fall in line? So this is the danger. And the fourth, fifth and sixth branches of the government have grown. Uh, we're talking with Colonel uh, John Mills again. Uh, his a book, uh, which is out uh, right now, is "The War Against the Deep State." Available anywhere you buy books, but especially Amazon and uh, WarAgainstTheDeepState.com. Go there; it'll kick through too. You can get the book there. Um, the nonprofit sector. I think most people it, they would have a sense of of lots of the uh, other aspects of this conversation, but the nonprofits at this point. Um, John, when you say that there's a sort of a a, a, a branch of the government that's the, the the nonprofits, is that new? Is it the last 20 years or has it always been there and we didn't know? If you went back in time, would you say, well, the, the Rockefeller Foundation back in the 50s was doing some of this or the such and such was doing it as opposed to now? And, you know, in the early parts of the this century, you had the uh, scandals around Acorn, which was a nonprofit and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, doing voter mm-hmm. fraud, um, Antifa, uh, BLM, BLM, which looks really like one of these classic nonprofits. They raised a bunch of money. And now even the BLM activists are like, yeah. Yeah, nothing was really done. But is it is it is the acceleration uh, um, the the um, uh, what we're seeing and feeling? Is it something about the uh, more transparency? You know, Mike Benz over on Twitter a lot. will talk or X will talk about how they do this in in uh, in other parts of the world. They build up uh, these uh, NGOs, they call them nonprofits as vehicles. But it, it feels like it's happening in America, like rapidly. Is it is it new or is it just we know it now? Oh, great question, Ed. Oh, I think it's been around for a while, but I think now the cumulative size of so many nonprofits, you mentioned the Rockefeller, that was one, but now there's so many. I'm all for the, 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 the I mean, constitutionally based, you know, in law 501c3s. Those are good, but they're supposed to be apolitical and nonpartisan. What we're seeing now is unquestionably they have grown so large, so gargantuan. I mean, this is not just, I mean, every university, most universities are nonprofits, but this is where you get universally uh, UPenn, uh, uh, which which the UPenn Biden Center, which we can't find the IRS Form 990 for it. The lawyers, uh, the UPenn lawyers imply that it is buried inside of the UPenn nonprofit, which is legally allowable. But we have no transparency and accountability in the greatest election interference operation in history was run by Tony Blinken, where he is getting the 51 intel officers in cooperation with a standing member of this, at least one we know of, of the CIA that is actively assisting in getting signatures for this 51 Intel officer letter that I work with, worked with or worked for 11 of the 51. So it shows you the out of control nature. I mean, uh, 
Blinken and UPenn Biden, at least that element, needs to be federally investigated. They ran an, the greatest election interference operation in history in the 2020 election. And uh, the blue team doesn't even say boo about it and tries to silence President Trump during these absolutely unlawful uh, legal attacks by different counties and states. So, so uh, again, we're talking with uh, Colonel uh, John Mills, a uh, retired Army Colonel, um, um, incredible career, and 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 his uh, in his first book, which um, uh, he wrote about this subject and and covered. It's called "The Nation Will Follow," um, and uh, talked especially about his career. And this newer newest book is called "War Against the Deep State." Go to WarAgainstTheDeepState dot com. Um, if it's true that the nonprofits have been around, uh, did they just get better? I mean, when you look at the when you look at the description of the 2020 election cycle, I think much of what was done was legal. Um, I, I do uh, in terms of what they called fortification of the election. I think some of it was illegal, but they certainly used legal means. They raised money legally to target, say, a, a certain counties in certain key states to get the laws changed. And they went before judges who were sympathetic, similar to what they're doing now. They raise money legally. They can get money to a nonprofit. Someone will give them money. And then they target uh, uh, conservative lawyers to try to get them disbarred. John Eastman, uh, Rudy Giuliani, whatever. Um, so I guess my my question is, um, if you're going to stop it, if you're going to step up and stop this stuff, um, and that's what, you know, war against the deep state's ongoing war, is it going to be done through what? The IRS code and, and the, the Ways and Means Committee in the House, which is now in Republican hands, is going to investigate them? Is it going to be done by elections? You know, a new president decides what? How do you really fight back? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there has to be better and more robust congressional oversight. I mean, the UPenn Biden Center is the poster child for misbehavior. And it's we need to have where exactly. I mean, I think you have 10 slots in the IRS form 990 to list subordinate or related activities. Right. And, and it's not listed on the core UPenn uh, five, uh, 990, which I have, and I've looked through and I've had a number of, uh, uh, engagements with their lawyers trying to find truth on the UPenn Biden Center. So there's, there's far more, more of them. They have far greater wealth and they've just become a, uh, institutions that are having absolutely undue influence. Like, like you said, they may have collected the money legally. And, and again, I'm for the spirit intent of the U.S. code and the, uh, the IRS classification. But what, what's, there is not enough transparency and oversight and accountability. And, uh, so they're, I mean, they push the envelope, uh, whereas red aligned 501c3 stay clear of the guardrail of political activity. The blue team, they don't, they come right up to the guardrail, jump over it and go, you know, 10 miles beyond the guardrail of legality. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so there's no moral equivalency here right. and uh, they have to be held accountable. This is just absolutely crazy. Um, Colonel John Mills, our guest, he's the author of the war against the deep state war against the deep state.com. Um, Colonel, you're an optimist. You, you, to me, you're always got a smile on your face. You sort of are, you're sort of, I think it's, it's in your temperament, but are you watching as you watch what's happening in our world? You mentioned the lawfare against Donald Trump, uh, all these other things. It, it feels like we're losing ground, not gaining ground. Are you, are you optimistic? Um, where we are and what's coming? Are, are you, um, I know you, you're going to say you are, but I mean, give me some, <laughs> I got about a minute left. Make me feel good about how it feels like we're overburdened by a mess. 
um, but it can turn out well. <laughs> yeah. Hey, making great progress in the Missouri and Louisiana case. Big victory in the Fifth Circuit just a couple of weeks ago. Big victory. And they just told Jen Easterly, uh, uh, my former colleague who leads DHS CISA and FBI, I said, look, if you want to meet with big tech to share concerns over uh, the ex- external threats, that's one thing. You in no way, shape, or form can meet and share the names of American citizens to target, silence, and censor them. I'm one of them. I got to look at the list. You might even be on that list, uh, Ed. And I have a filing about to drop here, um, which hopefully will be a model uh, for payback uh, on these matters. Hmm. But yeah, we have some great progress here. And I I also look for the... um, Focus on your county citizens, but yeah, at, the, right. at the national level, your impact on the market cap market cap value of these woke companies has been incredible. Huge impact, you, yeah. It's yeah, huge. Yeah. All right, John, I got to go. Unfortunately, I did that to you. They asked a good question too late. I got to go, though. We're running out of time. Um, John Mills, everybody, retired colonel from the Army, intelligence officer, very smart. Uh, check out his book. I'll put it up on social media. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the ProMark Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Republicans should be criticizing the Georgia governor, Brian Kemp, for his hands-off, see-no-evil approach to the crisis of Donald Trump being unjustly indicted in Kemp's own backyard, especially after a Georgia state senator asked Kemp to call a special session of the legislature. Apparently, these political indictments were timed to drop after legislators had adjourned for the year, but they can be called back into session by their governor. Kemp has refused. The hardship imposed on the 19 Republicans targeted by this political prosecution is immense and nearly unbearable. Most of them lack the resources to fund their own legal defense, and some of them are not even in Georgia at all. If a Republican county prosecutor had done this to 19 Democrats, then Democrat governors around the country would be rallying to their defense. There would be howls of protest about such a blatant misuse of prosecutorial power for political gain. If Georgia will not restrain the misuse of its taxpayer dollars to infringe on First Amendment rights, other states should defend the rights of their own residents against this wrongful attempt to chill political activity in a national election. After all... Objecting to an election as a fraud is no crime, yet that's all these indictments allege. Racketeering laws invoked by the Democrats in Georgia against Republicans have been misused before against conservative groups. The U.S. Supreme Court finally shut down the improper use against a pro-life group under the federal racketeering law, but only after multiple appeals to the higher court. In 1964, the late Phyllis Schlafly wrote about the perennial battle between powerful liberal insiders and grassroots conservatives in her timeless classic, A Choice, Not an Echo. The flagrant misuse of prosecutorial power becomes the latest chapter of interference with the American people in selecting our president. Governor Kemp should be held accountable. Fulton County DA Fannie Willis should be held accountable. However, more than anything else, we need to recognize that we will all be held accountable by future generations if we allow our elections to crumble under the weight of these unjust influences in a presidential contest. 
This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. On college campuses and social media, in boardrooms and the public square, conservative voices are being silenced. What happened to free speech or to the First Amendment? At phyllisschlafly.com, we're still listening. So let us hear from you at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for joining us and come back again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I promised you I would explain to you the very important uh, Phyllis Schlafly doctrine of military superiority. Here we are. Phyllis Schlafly wrote frequently about military superiority and the importance of military superiority. Sorry about that. My microphone just was slipping out. I think we're back. Yeah, there we are. Um, Sorry about that. Um, Phyllis Schlafly um, started her career as a public, um, I don't know, public uh, speaker and a political organizer. And she started in the 1940s when a lot of the the American people, uh, especially that were into public life and politics, were obviously concerned about the Soviets and the communists, the Soviet communists, and how they were moving forward and threatening the world. And they were doing it in a very specific way. In fact, if you listen just a few minutes ago, our, my interview with Ken Raposa, we're talking about uh, China. China, China's communists um, certainly are nasty and they're terrible and they have to be opposed and understood. But they they're less militaristic, even as they build up their military, meaning they're not as showy. Uh, they want you to know they have a big military and they've certainly built it up, but they're in it for the, it looks like the long play. The, the, the communists, the Soviet communists were much flashier and more aggressive, how to say, and kind of, it was just a different personality of the people, the communists there. But here, be that as it may, Phyllis Schlafly in the forties and fifties became a very well-known speaker on the question of the strategic balance and the debate that was roiling the country was how should you balance uh, our need for a strong military and what we thought the Soviets, the communists were doing in the Soviet Union. And and the strategic balance was what is this balance? And there were people that said, oh, if you're just nice to the Soviets, we'll all get along. They'll become a friendly people and all. And then there was what would be called hardliners, uh, people that were like, no, 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 you can't, you can't trust those communists ever. And therefore, you know, you have to be aggressive in 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 um, in um, in your posturing, and, you know, and don't fall for the the effort. They lie to you and they say nice things and don't fall for it. And so over the years, Phyllis Schlafly developed this notion of military superiority. And I think she coined the term. She certainly uh, used it and, and, and fleshed it out. And she cited it back. She went all the way back to um, uh, George Washington, uh, who, who spoke about having a large military, a large army. He's a term army, large army that your, your uh, opponents and your friends could see. And so it was it wasn't just enough to have a big army. You needed them to see it. And that was uh, he talked about that in one of his uh, speeches. I should have pulled it up. I apologize that I didn't. Um, And but the point here is that military superiority, Phyllis would trace it all the way back uh, to George Washington. And importantly, she um, then came forward and said her her description of it was that you had to have uh a strong enough military it had to be militarily superior to your opponents and they had to know it that the important part was that they had to know it and the reason why is because people had to uh, have the ability to uh, uh to understand 
that you had that military superiority, but that they would have to be um, uh, be respectful of it. And, and the way Phyllis used to say it, I'm trying to find the actual language. She used to say uh, your enemies needed to be fear you and your allies knew they could rely on you. And that was the key part of the of the doctrine was this notion of military superiority. And you can't shy away from it. And what we're watching, what we're watching in America is the the our military superiority slipping. And I, but I'm not talking. Be clear. I'm not talking about um, the idea of just um, of just uh, getting big to get big to fund the defense military. It's superiority. It's not military size. It's superiority. You have to build up the superiority so that you're better in every aspect. And here's where we get the rubber hits the road. Despite all the conversation with Ken Raposa about the buildup of the of the military um, and uh, the Chinese, I will tell you that the real challenge in my mind is to build up our military superiority. And the place you have to look is towards space, because he or she who has superiority in space, what nation, China or America, and those are really the two that are competing, is going to be the one is going to be the nation that has the most power, the ability to control really everything. And so when you say military superiority, I'm not just talking about better planes and better lasers and all that. I am saying all that. But I'm also saying looking down the field, Phyllis Schlafly wrote in the late 1950s about the need for Star Wars became popularized as Star Wars, which was missile defense. She wrote about missile defense years, decades before anyone else came upon it. And when she did, it became something that was influential on a guy named Ronald Reagan, who, when he got into office, he decided that he was going to do something about it. And and so began his quest for a, a SDI, Strategic Defense Initiative. And so uh, the the uh, my point on this is that military superiority has to become something that we understand better than we do now. And it's right now we're losing it. Right now we're losing it. Um, and we're not being clear on what the on what the reason that we want to have it is and that what why it's so important. So I'm going to spend some more time. I'm trying. I'm, I apologize. I'm trying to find uh, uh, the actual language of George Washington's speech. I, I'm sorry that I didn't have it up uh, in uh, in my um, in my uh, uh, in my notes before now, because it would have been good to show you. But we'll do it another time. But the point here is that military superiority is what we need to do. We need to change our mindset on it. Not by the way, it doesn't mean fight wars everywhere at all. In fact, the opposite. Don't fight wars everywhere so people can figure out what our weapons are and how we do things. That, that's a bigger problem or a, a problem. But the reality is that we have to get militarily superior in every single way we can. And we have to be really smart about it. And we're not being smart about it. All right. We got we to go, though. Thank you, as always, to Mason Mohan, our producer, Ryan Haidt, especially for our producer and for filling in in the past uh, a week or so, filling in a number of times. Appreciate them both very much. We will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.